welcome to the Already Consciousness Transforming Podcast for exceptional 21st century living. Folks, we've got a Wuchi show today, and I absolutely love Wuchi shows. And we're going to be speaking with Phoenix Buffet, and um, hopefully get this right, Jiwan, Giwan, Giwan, is it Giwan? <laughs> it's <Huh>? Giwan. <laughs> okay, I, I, I'm going to say, can I call you G? <laughs> Absolutely, lots of people do. Okay, thanks, because that way I'll get it right. G, G Raven, and we're going to talk about their latest book, and that's Life Ritualized, A Witch's Guide to Honoring Life's Important Moments. And folks, if you're interested in Wicca witchcraft at all, this is a book for you to have on your shelf. Well, not only in your shelf, you got to read it, but it provides all the basics and it's grounded, okay, and it's grounded in truth and sincerity and honesty. Um, this is a book that I will keep on my shelf and you guys know I don't say that very often. So we're gonna get into talking to them in a bit, but um, sit back, relax, enjoy the show and um, get some information on you know, rituals and the energy of Wicca. Now the information shared on here over it uses intuitive and pragmatic insight to help you shift your consciousness to break through blocks and release energy that is no longer needed. Yes, we're going to help you let go of the BS that is holding you back. But you guys know I always ask that question, are you truly ready to? And by the way, folks, BS is belief system. A bit about me for my new listeners, intuitive since birth. I'm a third generation intuitive with over three decades of experience supporting people to break through the blocks along their path. I'm a strategist for personal and professional transformation, revealing cutting edge information that enables you to prosper and thrive. I spent 25 successful years in corporate America as an executive sales professional, and I'm the founder of Healing Visions Ministries and the Northern California Children's Education Network, a 501c3 nonprofit. I provide consultations and healings in all areas of life that heal the mind-body-spirit connection, allowing you to live your very best life. My clients tell me that I keep it real while providing them with accurate information to assist them along their journey as a spirit living a human existence. But they also say, if you really don't want to know, don't ask Monique. My background includes a doctorate in metaphysics, Reiki master teacher, ordained minister, and clinical hypnotherapist. So whether you are stressed, depressed, or possessed, I can help. To find out more about me and the services I offer, go to my website, and that's moniquechapman.com. And I invite you to like me on Facebook and follow me on Twitter and LinkedIn. I am so fortunate today to have two wonderful guests. The first one is, oh my goodness, G Raven. And he can tell you his name when we're talking to each other. He is a tattoo pagan writer, traveler, musician, cook, kitchen witch, occult shop owner, and teacher. Although initiated in three magical traditions, G describes his practice as virtually anything that celebrates the wild, sensuous, living, breathing, dancing, ecstatic, and divine experience of this lifetime. He was born and raised in London, England, but he now resides in Northern California and shares space in the redwood trees, the Pacific Ocean, and his beloved partner. And that is Phoenix LaFay. And she is a professional reader, root worker, teacher, and ritualist. She has been practicing witchcraft for almost 30 years. She looks 
like 30. So I don't know how she's practicing witchcraft for 30 years. But anyway, she um, started when she was 15, folks. But for she's been practicing uh, witchcraft for almost 30 years. And her teachings are connected to the reclaiming tradition, jewelry, gardnering. Is it gardnering? Gardner? Gardnerian. Gardnerian. Thank mm -hmm. you. Yep. Um, Phoenix uh, Wicca. And she is the owner of an esoteric goddess shop called Milk and Honey. Actually, they both own it. And they have two websites you can go to, and that's G-W-I-O-N-R-A-V-E-N.com. Again, that's G-W-I-O-N-R-A-V-E-N.com and P-H-O-E-N-I-X-L-E-F-A-E.com. P-H-O-N-E. P-H-O, I'm sorry, P-H-O-E-N-I-X-L-E-F-A-E.com. And then you can check out um, their uh, shop and that's The Witches Next Door and it's thewitchesnextdoor.net.net. Welcome guys. Thank you. Hey, now that I got through that, I was like, woo. <laughs> <laughs> Your book, Life Ritualized. Um, and you guys can chime in unless I ask something specifically um, to a person. Why? Why this book? Why now? You want to start with that one, Gwen? Yeah, sure. <laughs> <laughs> so um, why this book? Mm -hmm. I think there is... Um, in almost any spiritual tradition, and certainly within ours, which is uh, witchcraft, uh -huh. um, there's a lot of um, needless mystery. So I'm a big fan of mystery, you know, like I'm a big fan of whatever it is that's out there in the universe that we don't understand. Uh -huh. And I'm also a big fan of demystifying what we can. And... Um, you know, rituals, you talk about healing and removing past traumas and really doing a ritual, spending time going through a rite of passage and understanding that that's what you're doing. Living your life ritualized is a way to demystify um, some of what happens in our life. And uh, it's also a way to understand our place in the universe. Uh, and how we relate to our gods or our spirits or our source or whatever it is. So this is a book that really breaks it down to the everyday, like when you make a cup of coffee, when you get a driver's license, when family member moves out, like all of those things are rituals. Uh -huh. um, and when we step into them and honor them as, as rituals and participate them with rituals, uh, it can bring joy, closure, healing to our lives. So uh, that's um, that's one of the reasons we wrote the book. What's your answer, Phoenix? I'm curious. Well, funnily enough, I would say that uh, this book brings mystery back into our lives. So mm -hmm. almost the exact opposite <laughs> of what you just said. Uh, I think um, I think one of the big issues for Western culture and especially Americans is we have this disconnection from mystery from a from an over culture perspective right I think people who are more spiritually inclined don't see the world that way but I think our our culture as Americans and North Americans and Westerners we we're kind of lost uh -huh. uh, and in in my very humble opinion that's a huge problem 
Uh, so bringing some of that mystery back, reminding ourselves that we are connected to something bigger than ourselves, uh, having moments where we can participate in magic, even if that is, like Leanne said, making a cup of coffee or getting our driver's license, right? These uh -huh. things that seem mundane, there's all kinds of mystery there. And I think that reconnecting to that energetic is important for us to evolve as a culture. Okay, well, you say life ritual, so ritualized. Um, what is a rite of passage? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, rites of passage are moments. And really, you could even argue we're always in a rite of passage of some way, shape, or form. We're always uh -huh. in a transition. Uh, so, but rites of passage are these moments that are transitional. We uh, are no longer this thing. We are becoming this other thing. And then there's that moment in the middle where we're not the thing we were, but we're not yet the thing we are becoming. Uh, uh -huh. it's, it's these moments of transition. Yeah, another way to answer that, Monique, um, is think about it in your own life, right? So you mentioned that you, um, you've attained certain uh, degrees, right? Becoming uh -huh. a Reiki master. So once uh -huh. upon a time, you didn't know what Reiki was. And then you discovered it, however uh -huh. you discovered it. And then at some point you said, hmm, this is something that I want to become proficient in. This is, there's a calling maybe that I'm hearing. There's a uh, spirit is talking to me and saying, I should pursue this. And then you went on this journey, whether it took you, you know, three days or 20 years to become a Reiki master, you went through that journey of becoming a Reiki master. And now- uh -huh you have understanding and experience that you didn't have before. That journey of Reiki, what's that? To I'm a Reiki master and can you know, potentially teach this and use this as healing, that's a rite of passage. You were not one thing, then you became a thing. And then in that becoming, you learned something about yourself. And that's true. We all do this, whether it's biological changes, there's uh -huh. a point where we are not, um, for instance, with, with women, uh, pr predominantly, um, there's a point when uh, your body changes and <laughs> those changes bring wisdom and intuition and uh, fear and uh -huh. responsibility and like those things happen. And it's true. You know, we all go through those uh, sometimes in our spiritual or religious life. If you think of a bar mitzvah, for instance. Uh -huh. Um, when you go through bat mitzvah, you are becoming the community. How beautiful is that, right? Oh, you yeah. go from being just a kid to being the community through this rite of bat mitzvah. So those are rites of passage, and there are thousands of them that we go through, some that we all go through, birth and death. Those are two rites of passage every person on this planet will go through. And then there's the, the rituals and rites of passage that make up our life. And we talk yeah. about many of those in the book. Yes, you do. And I was going to um, talk to you more about, you know, the two biological uh, rites of passage that you talk about in the book and that everybody experiences, and that's birth and death. When um, we come in, the, the birth process, we're experiencing something new. Um, if we haven't been birthed into an environment that really supports any type of ritualizing, and finally we're old enough to, understand is there anything that we can do to basically go back in time and heal or work with that energy 
of the birth? Absolutely. I don't think it's ever too late to ritualize something from the past, Uh especially if there is pain or trauma or uh, or even just an ex- the a disappointing experience, you know. Uh-huh. I think that this comes up a lot for uh, women with their first blood, the first time your period begins. Uh, you know, for some women it, or young girls, it can be sad or traumatic. Or, or I've heard a lot of stories where people didn't know it was happening and thought yes. that they were sick or dying. Right? Yes. <laughs> yeah. So, and I've, um, I've been through rituals with women where we re-ritualize that moment, where we celebrate the first blood, where we honor stepping into a new uh, level of, of life, where we become women, right? And, and we have a moment to celebrate that. So I don't think it's ever too late. I think you could even go back to birth and ritualize your birth experience in a way that is joyful and welcoming and a, a shift. Uh You know, the, the ritual process, uh, is yours. So you can do whatever you want and create it however you want in order to, to do the thing you need it to do magically. Yeah. Well, you know, the first blood ritual really, um, caught my attention because I started my cycle when I was nine. And of course we had a house full of company at the time. And, um, you know, I went to the bathroom, I wiped, saw all this blood pants down to the ankles. I'm screaming, holding the tissue, running out in front of all the company. (laughs) And of course I got laughed at. Right. Everybody everybody laughed at me and kind of put me down. And of course that shut me down even more. And then actually going back through your um, ritual and uh, guys it's on page 111. If you want to get the book Um, that helped me clear that energy away where the disdain and the shame Mm. actually went away. So the information that you share truly does work. Now, G, talk about us. um, Talk to us about the guys, the men in their rites of passage their ritual you know it's so interesting uh over the years i've talked to a lot of men uh and asked them like what was that moment because biologically there isn't quite that same moment where you know it's it's obvious uh, and repeated (laughs) right so Uh um we don't have that quite the same way just from a strictly biological standpoint and especially now with so many more um uh, men choosing to step into rituals of empowerment and quite honestly, especially trans men, uh, mm-hmm. folks that have lived their life another way for many years and now are stepping into uh, manhood and doing it consciously. And interestingly enough, the one thing I've talked, I must talk to a thousand men about this. The one thing that they say that they remember was being taught to shave. Uh, And whether that was by an uncle or a father or a grandfather or a buddy or, you know, some, whoever it was, somebody taught them to shave. And I think one of the most intimate moments a man can have, this is certainly true of me, is to let somebody else shave you, whether that's a a barber Uh uh, or whether that's an elder um, or a a partner of, of some sort, but like, there's um, quite a body of work that supports the men in general. We are not socialized to touch. Yeah. Quite mm-hmm. the same way. Like mm-hmm. when we're kids, there's a, a certain point 
in most men's life when you know it's not appropriate to hug and kiss anymore and yeah. um you know older men especially like grandparents and uncles they don't tend to hug you anymore because it gets weird for whatever reason and so then there are really only two ways that men experience touch and that's through sports uh and you know physical activity like that and uh-huh. uh, through sex uh-huh. in our society today sex is a really big deal right it's everywhere and sometimes it can get really toxic it's not always healthy and so men don't know how to touch so like putting your face like it's very intimate. It's your neck, right? One slip of the blade and that's it. You're over. <laughs> um, so like just allowing somebody to shave you is incredibly intimate. And then recognizing mm-hmm. that when you shave, you know, I'm, um, I've been shaving now since I was 14, I think 15, something like that. It's something uh-huh. I've done, you know, not exactly every day, but regularly. And I look mm-hmm. at this face in the mirror and I've seen how it's changed. And, you know, I've gone from a hard young man to starting to realize I look more like my grandfather and my father, you know? Well, they were handsome men because I I know folks, you can't see them, but when you go to their website, you will see both of them. Okay. (laughs) And uh, you have handsome men in your family, but let me ask you um, both this question. um, And maybe you can take parts in the book. You talk about rituals have a flow and it's basically a six step flow. Could you share that with us? Yeah. Yeah. And this is a really um, modern witchcraft. This, this format is familiar to folks who are practicing witchcraft in some form right now, but stepping into ritual, uh, there is this cleansing process, right? It's, it's clearing your body and getting yourself ready to step in. Um, cleansing and grounding, becoming fully present, fully ready to step in. There is a moment of creating a sacred space and just acknowledging uh, we were in a mundane place and now we are stepping into a sacred place. It's not necessarily saying I'm turning this room sacred because everything is sacred on its own. It's more shifting our awareness that we are leaving the mundane and moving into something more sacred. Uh, And from that point, it's kind of whatever goes, you know, you might call in allies to witness the rite that you're performing, you might call in uh, ancestors or deities or protectors or other spiritual allies. And then you actually do a thing to acknowledge the rite that you're in. And that might be a whole number of things, a whole, uh, we list a lot of those things in the book. Uh Uh, And then it's closing that process out. It's saying goodbye to the energies you invited in. Uh, It's thanking that space for holding your uh, process and your ritual uh, and opening all of that energy back up. Okay. Um, And you talk about utilizing the tarot and runes as part of ritualizing. Tell us more about that, G. Yeah, for sure. So the tarot, for folks that might not know, is um, about 500 years old. Uh, It started off as a a game, essentially a playing card game, and Uh evolved over time uh, to become a tool of divination. Similar with the runes, the runes go back quite, quite a bit longer, several thousand years actually, into the Scandinavian and Germanic areas of the world and it was an alphabet but it wasn't just an alphabet to write notes it was a magical alphabet it was a spiritual alphabet it's 
how you could communicate with the, the land and the gods. And those little images that look like letters conveyed more than just what the symbol was, right? So uh -huh. they're basically, um, and uh, runes today are used for divination, similar to tarot or I Ching or Oracle cards or throwing bones. There's lots of different ways that you can do divination. And the idea of divination, I think, in general, is that it's not logical information. Now, if you want logical information, you can open a book or go to a website, right? You can find a step-by-step -step process that's very logical. Uh -huh. And what divination does is it pull, pulls on things like intuition, on magic, on play, on um, the emotional state that you're in right in the moment. And it, it gives you an answer that maybe you have to investigate. Um, you know, kind of the classic tarot questions, you know, what's in my future? Well, uh, as Phoenix <laughs> can tell you, reading the tarot is a lot less <laughs> about telling you your future. And it's a lot more about What's going on with you right now? Right now. <laughs> right? Um, yeah. So well, you, you, go ahead. Yeah, I'll say, so using tarot or runes or any other divination tool is a way, again, ritually to kind of um, take you out of the mundane world, take you out of the world of websites and logic and put you squarely in the, the realm of magic and of possibility. Uh, mm -hmm. So that's that's why we spend some time talking about uh, divination. Mm -hmm. Well, Phoenix, why do you think so many people are hooked into a tarot and runes or any other form of divination that it's the future as opposed to paying attention to right now? Because right now is creating the future. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's it's really funny that you say that. I've been thinking about this concept a lot lately. Uh, you know, we we find ourselves often, well, culturally, I can't help but kind of go back to that idea of our, our overculture because it seems to influence so much of our lives. But uh -huh. we spend so much time worrying about what we're going to do, where we're going to go, how these things are going to play out, or stressing about the mistakes we've already made. And it's very hard for us to be present to just be here and deal with what is here and what is going on now. Uh, and so there is this idea that if we know what the future holds, we have some, we have some amount of control that we uh, won't be surprised that something won't hurt, that we won't um, get squashed in some way, shape or form. And I think that's why people seek out this, you know, quote unquote, fortune telling type of of energetic and that really like if, you know if you go to a tarot reader or someone who's doing any type of divination and they're telling you all of these future things that's helpful but really you need to know like you said Monique what's going on right now what what is the energetic right now what do I need to be focusing on right now and I think generally speaking we don't like to be here right now we like to be thinking about where we messed up or what we are going to do in the future. Mm, well, I love where I messed up because that helps me grow. So I don't absolutely mess it up again. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we yeah. have that opportunity if we want to, um, to grow. One uh, right that you had in the book that really got my attention. And I tried to live by this as much as possible. And I think it's 99% of the time is the right of authenticity talk to us about that because so many people today are not authentic. Mm -hmm. And I'm not talking just the people that you see in the political world and all 
oh, out there. I'm even talking about the people that are in our line of business. You know, they have great yeah. PR, um, but the authenticity behind it is just lacking. So talk to us about that. Either one of you. Don't be shy. <laughs> like I ain't touching that. <laughs> well, I'll jump in there. You know, I think you know you you really hit the nail on the head with that. Is that we we do see we're inundated with images of what it's what life is supposed to look like and be. And you know, for me, like a child of the '80s and '90s, like that all came from TV and magazines, and now we're seeing that on social media, and we get these very curated images from other people of what we're supposed to look like, supposed to be like, supposed to be doing, and it can be um, confusing. We can get lost in that supposed to, and so finding your authentic voice, finding your authentic self, that sounds like so easy. Like, of course, I'm just going to know who I am authentically, but we can get lost in the noise of expectation, of culture, of social media, and lose that voice. So authenticity, the right of authenticity is a way of bringing you back to that voice and bringing you back to yourself and bringing you back to your center so that you can better express that and better communicate that from that place of your authentic self. There's a, Monique, there's a, um, a saying that RuPaul Charles has, <laughs> amazing drag performer and- I love RuPaul. I love <laughs> RuPaul. So, you know, RuPaul says um, that we were born naked and the rest is drag. Mm-hmm. And I really think about that a lot. Um, when I go to uh, a, a day job, for instance, if, uh -huh. if uh, then I'm, uh, you know, I'm an employee or I'm a worker or I'm a boss or I'm a technician or whatever it is that, you know, somebody does during the day. Uh -huh. And then at night, I might be a husband or a father or a coach or, a, you know, fill in the blank. We have all these different roles that we play. And at some point, um, we start to identify with the role uh -huh. uh, as ourselves, And that's not always true. So this idea of authenticity is, you know, at the end of the day, when I take off the coach's hat, when I take off the witch's cloak, when I put down uh, the intuitive consultant's uh, microphone, who am I? Who am I at the end of the day when I look in the mirror uh, who am I? There's another thing about authenticity. Uh, I saw this years and years ago. Somebody said, you never see photographs back when we took photographs. You never see photographs of people that they, of their family in moments of pain and doubt. We always like all of our pictures. Mm. If you look on Facebook, it's uh -huh. generally true. It's happy, smiley moments. It's, you know, kisses and you standing on top of the Empire State Building or you know, skydiving, you know, whatever it is, there aren't those moments. We generally don't show each other those moments of pain and doubt and arguing and frustration because Monique didn't do the dishes and I've asked her 50 times to do the dishes. We don't, but that's not what we show in social media. Uh -huh. And there is a big part of our life that isn't curated, that isn't pretty, that isn't perfect. And uh, we tend not to celebrate that. So the right of authenticity is another way to go back through and say, who am I? How do I show up? Where am I accountable? What am I holding on to that isn't me anymore? 
what should I aspire to that I want to be, right? That's, uh-huh. um, that's a lot of what the right of authenticity is. And within witchcraft, uh, in most spiritual traditions, there's this notion of, you know, healer, heal thyself, or witch, know thyself, right? You have to understand who you are uh, uh-huh. before you can go out and do some of the great work that you're destined to do. Um, yeah, and sometimes it's hard, but you brought up an interesting point. Is there a difference between witchcraft and pagan rituals? And if so, what? And if not, okay. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I think I think that gap is actually getting wider. Uh, you know, in the in the late '90s, I think you could have said that witchcraft and Wicca and paganism were all kind of a, 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 a melting pot of one thing, and that that's really changed in this millennia. It's really changed, and uh, there is a little bit more separation and organization and tradition that has come into the world around mm-hmm. Wicca, witchcraft, paganism. Uh, and so there is differences. There are variations and there are specific traditions uh, where you would be taught how to do ritual a certain way and follow a lineage and do things a specific way. Um, it's not quite as free form and open as it was in the past. Another way to look at it, Monique, for folks that maybe aren't um unaware of how witchcraft and paganism kind of intersect and work together. Imagine if you think of, say, um, we use Christianity as, a, as an example. Um, you've got Baptists and Lutherans mm-hmm. and Catholics, and each of those um, groups, sects, they all, you know, they fall under the umbrella of uh, Christianity, but they mm-hmm. practice differently right the rites are different the languages are different um even the populations of people that tend to be lutheran or catholic or southern baptist or what have you you know they they vary so it's a little Uh bit like that within paganism as well paganism is kind of an umbrella that might include things like the various traditions of witchcraft it might include druidry it might include heathenry some of the norse traditions it can um encapsulize things like the um the um practices from the african diaspora right so things like santeria and uh ifa and you know there's other traditions that sometimes fall within that bracket not always uh folk magic um so there's like appellation magic there's uh-huh. root work and conjure these are all different forms of magic and craft practices that uh-huh. generally fall under the pagan umbrella but can be practiced a lot of different ways okay um now for that word that i can't say besides your name g and that's the girl um, i won't even go there uh gerald uh gardner he yeah. started the practice that you guys tend to follow and then there's also alex sanders who created his version. And actually, Gerald Gardner um, wrote a book back in 1954 that's like the basis, if you will, of everything that is still very relevant today. So can you talk to us about both of those or at least the uh, energy that you follow? 
Yeah, yeah. So uh, I am initiated into the Gardnerian tradition of Wicca. So um, like you said, Jared Gardner wrote a book. England actually repealed their witchcraft laws in the 50s. Mm -hmm. uh, Before that, it was illegal to practice witchcraft. Uh, And as soon as that law was repealed, witches came out of the woodwork. (laughs) Uh, And Gerald Gardner was one of those that actually got a book published very early on in the shift and sort of came forward as a leader in this community. And the, the lineage that has taken off after his books were released still exists. And so there are Gardnerians, quote unquote, that's what the his specific lineage is based on uh, that, you know, you're, you're initiated into that lineage, you follow ritual in that lineage, and it all stems back to Gerald Gardner. Um, and Alexander's was a contemporary of Gardner's. They were actually uh, spiritual uh, friends uh-huh. and there was a falling out and Alexander's decided to sort of peel off and start his own tradition. So they actually have a lot in common. Um, a lot of the rites and rituals and liturgy are very similar, but the founders are different, different people, slightly different focuses. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. And, you know, I could talk, I could geek out on that topic for hours. <laughs> hours. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, well, do you have to be a, a follower of Gardner or um, Sanders in order to practice? Can you, you know, do you have to be in a coven? I think a lot of people are confused about that because yeah. there's some energy out there that says a solo person practicing really isn't valid. Yeah. Yeah. That's- so first and foremost, there is no wrong way to do a witch, right? right? So if you are, if you think to yourself, you know what, I have this energy and I manifest things. I have the ability to nudge the universe in a particular direction. And I think I'm a witch. Guess what? You're a witch. You're a witch. <laughs> That's yeah. it. Now, if you want to say, like, I also practice British traditional Wicca, and Gardnerianism is is one of the British traditional wickers. You can't just say I'm a Gardnerian witch. You have to go through the rites and the initiations to be a Gardnerian witch. Same okay. thing, you know, essentially with being a Catholic, you have to go through the rites to become okay. a Catholic. So that's that. Um, but no, there's no wrong way to witch. There are some guidelines and some good practices and some skills that you probably would want to learn. Um, but no, solitary practitioners are not only valid, but necessary. Uh, most witches today aren't in a coven. Phoenix and I are lucky that we are in a coven, but COVID mm-hmm. over the last you know couple of years yeah. now um, has really thwarted our abilities to gather the way we normally do and to do magic there. So we have had to practice by ourselves. And I think witchcraft is a, a, a daily or at least regular practice. And I'm not with my coven 24-7. God forbid, if I was, we'd probably, you know, go mad. But um, I love them all to death, but I couldn't live with them all 24-7, you know? <laughs> so, I wouldn't uh, be being anybody. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, um, Monique, you know, through different times in history, um, you know, there are people, um, I'll use this example, in, um, especially in the American South, Uh, Phoenix can speak to this more. There are folks in the American South that um, go to church every Sunday and 
they also have got situations in their life where they need a little bit of a nudge and they will go to a, a conjure doctor or they'll uh -huh. go to a root worker and they'll say, hey, I need this thing. Uh -huh. uh, there's a situation in my life and I need information or I need it to stop or I need to push it in my favor. And those root workers aren't necessarily out in the public. So they practice often in their living room, in their bedroom, in a garage, you know. In the back of the church. Back of the church, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> you know, and so um, you have to be solitary. It's like um, being a solitary witch is, is good. Now, I will say there is tremendous value in uh -huh. also practicing with other people. Um, it'll test your limits. It'll test your boundaries. It is good for understanding how you communicate. There's a lot of benefit. And there's also a power and an energy, quite frankly, that you can raise with a group of people that you is to, more yeah. difficult to raise by yourself. Yeah, you, you, it's impossible to do by yourself. Okay, um, do you guys have uh, time for three more questions with me? Mm -hmm. sure. Okay, um, great. Um, the first one is, um, G, in the book, you wrote about the passages about miscarriage and abortion, Phoenix didn't. Uh, you present yourself in this picture as male to me. She's presenting herself in this picture as female to me. But also in the book, Phoenix talked about, and this cracked me up, girl. You talked about getting a pregnancy test and it came out positive before you were supposed to do something. But And you're taking a whole bunch of pregnancy <laughs> tests and this is the only one that came out positive. So do those two kind of coincide with each other or what? Well, when we were looking at this book and how we wanted to lay it out, we chose which sections we were going to write. And I've never had a miscarriage. I've never been through an abortion. Uh, so I didn't feel like I had any real context from which to write that from. And Guian may not have physically been through a miscarriage or an abortion, but he has been there with another individual why would they went through that process. And so he had a real world experience of what that is like. So it felt like it made more sense, even though I might have the correct anatomy for having that experience. I've never had that experience and I didn't really feel like I could fully go there where Guyan had gone there. He had been there. He had held the hand of someone going through that process. And, you know, I think we also paint this picture that pregnancy is so wonderful and exciting and having a baby is, is every woman's dream. And that wasn't the truth for me. I was freaking terrified. Uh, I did not, I was 24. It's not, you know, I wasn't, I was married to my, my former spouse. It, it wasn't, I had a good job. Like, you know, uh -huh. we had a stable home. It wasn't a ridiculous notion, but I was not prepared and not ready uh, and terrified. And, and I think we don't talk about those other parts of these topics. We just, we gloss things over. Everything's a blessing, We don't, you know, but it's not always, sometimes it's scary or <laughs> um, it's life-changing, no matter what, uh -huh. going through these experiences are life-changing. Um, for good and for bad. And I, 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 for me, it's important to be really open and transparent. Yes. Yeah. Okay. G? Yeah. You know, I think when it come, came to miscarriage and abortion, and we say this many, many times throughout the book in, in a variety of ways, we rarely go through rites of passage alone. In fact, we, we really never do. Um, there's always somebody else connected to it. So 
Um, you know, in the case of abortion, I there was a, a, a person that I knew, a young woman that I knew that had gotten pregnant, not under very good circumstances. The father was not going to be around. She had no family support. Um, they were very, very conservative. And the idea of her having an abortion was terrible. And she was confused. And ultimately, she decided that was the best thing for her. And there was no one to go with her. There was uh. no one to caretake her afterwards. And, um, you know, I, I had nothing to do with her being pregnant in any way, shape or form. But I stepped in um, because she asked. And uh -huh. I went through the entire procedure with her holding her hand. I took her home and carried her into her room and made a little nest of her and checked in on her over the next few days and, and was there sort of emotionally for her afterwards as she wrestled with, um, you know, this, this difficult choice. It was going to be a difficult choice no matter what she decided to do. And there was no one for her to confide in. And so I went through that process. Um, and I was married to somebody else at one point and they had a miscarriage. I've had other family members and close friends that have gone through miscarriage and it's devastating. And um, there is, I think, often this idea that, that we do this alone. And while physically that might be true, yes, someone's body is going through that experience. Uh -huh. There is often a a friend, a lover, a partner, a parent, there's somebody else there that is also going through the experience or may have gone through the experience and can help guide them through. You know, I love the idea, Monique, of, you know, I've traveled this road with you. I've made it to the other side of the shore. I can't row the boat for you, but I can be in the boat with you. You know what mm. I mean? So, yeah. Okay. Um, how can we bring consciousness to the unconscious practice of our daily rituals? Or can we? Because I mean, even getting up and brushing your teeth is a ritual. Yeah, it is. Absolutely. Here's the difference. The difference between a habit and a ritual. Get up every morning, hit the snooze button, get up again. <laughs> go to the bathroom, brush our teeth, make, make a cup of coffee, right? That's a habit, right? We do that every day. Mm -hmm. How you make it a ritual is you wake up in the morning and right before you hit the snooze alarm, you say, ha, huh, I get to breathe in the world again today. And then you go back to sleep for 10 minutes and then you get up and you brush your teeth and you look at yourself in the mirror and you say, look at me today. This is my body, my face, my being in the world today. And then you have a cup of coffee and you say, I'm sitting in my apartment or my house or my tent or my RV, wherever you are. And you have this hot cup of coffee or tea in your hand and you feel the warmth. And you can remember that somebody somewhere picked that coffee and somebody somewhere ground that coffee and somebody somewhere put it into a package and loaded it onto a truck and shipped it to the grocery store. And somebody in the grocery store put it on the shelf and you went in and bought it and somebody else rung it up. And now you're sitting in your living room having your cup of coffee and you okay. are connected to a thousand people that made that cup of coffee possible. And you can give thanks and gratitude for all of the hands that touched that coffee before you did. 
if you take that moment every single day, you're in the drive-thru, somebody hands you a sack full of French fries and, and a cheeseburger, you can still take a minute before you get back on the freeway and inhale that food without <laughs> thinking about it. You can uh -huh. still take a moment and go, somebody made that food for me. Somebody put it in a bag. Somebody will take the money that they earn from selling that hamburger and go feed their children and do their best to educate them. And, you know, whatever it is, you can take that moment and connect with the moment. And then you can go even further than that. You can say the coffee grew in the ground, give thanks for the earth that it grew uh -huh. in and the sun and the rain and the, you know, so you can, you, that's how you make a habit, a ritual. That's how you make a daily act that you do beautiful. It's having to choose between going through things sort of blindly, numbly, or, or out of the routine of it uh -huh. and engaging with those moments intentionally. And that takes practice. It's not something that's just going to shift overnight. It requires you to shift your focus. And honestly, I've been using technology a lot. Like I have this app called high future self, and uh -huh. I set little reminders for myself that go off every day time to meditate, time to do gratitude, time to whatever, you know, oh, whatever cool. it is, but it's uh -huh. just, it's about shifting our, we can, we can be in the numb routine. So easy. It's having to engage in that routine more, um, with more awareness, more consciousness, like you said. Okay. Yeah. All right. So now it's time to talk about your podcast and your store. So who wants to take the podcast and who wants to take the store and, and weave your website into all of this too. I'll take the I'll take the podcast. Okay. <laughs> so, uh, Phoenix and I have a podcast. It's called The Witches Next Door, and it's the two of us sitting around our kitchen table having a conversation just like this, Monique. We chat uh -huh. about everyday witchcraft, what we're doing, what's happening in the world, what's happening in the season. Um, different aspects of witchcraft, different aspects of how you can practice craft, whether you've been doing it for 50 years or you just discovered it yesterday on TikTok, right? Doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. So that's the podcast. It's The Witches Next Door. You can go to the website as well, thewitchesnextdoor.net. You can learn about Phoenix and I there. You can learn about the different books that we've written. Um, both I've written two books, um, got a third one in the works. Phoenix has written about a million books. <laughs> yeah, um, she's a busy lady. Yeah. Is. Um, and we will, as especially as the world begins to open up again, we teach all over the US and well, North America in general. Phoenix is also taught around the world. Um, so yeah, you can learn more about us and our particular style of magic. And um, that's what you'll find at the podcast. We do swear on the podcast. So it's. Um, Thank God. Some, yeah, <laughs> some explicit yeah. content. Yeah. <laughs> Real witches. Thank you. That's, that's right. right. Yeah. 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 Um, well, before we get to um, Phoenix, um, Gia, I want you to talk about your book and food, The Kitchen Witch and all that, because I found that quite interesting. Yeah. So I wrote a book called The Magic of Food, Rituals, Offerings and Why We Eat Together. And it's a book kind of in several parts. The first part talks about the history of ritual and food dating back as far as we can go. So it, the book starts 1.8 million years ago in a cave in South Africa, basically. And mm -hmm. then it, it goes through some of the classic cultures that we may have learned about, like the, the um, uh, Romans and the Greeks and 
um, the Sumerians, and talks about how religion and spirituality and food and the gods and medicine were all kind of rolled into one thing. Uh, and then the middle of the book talks about kitchen witchery, modern day kitchen witchery, how food impacts our life, how we have a relationship with food, good, bad, or indifferent, how we can make that relationship sacred, how we can celebrate because we do celebrate the moments of life with food. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then there's um, 42 of my favorite recipes. I, I've been a cook in my lifetime uh, and um, 42 of my favorite recipes um, that I find particularly, well, sumptuous, delicious, and magical. So okay. that's that book. <laughs> okay, so Phoenix? Yeah, so our shop is called Milk and Honey. It's located in downtown Sebastopol in Northern California. Uh, we are a, a witchy shop, so we have all of the delights and treasures that you might seek out or desire as a practicing witch or spiritualist, really. Mm -hmm. Uh, Crystals and stones and jewelry, books and journals, candles, incense, you name it, we've got it. We also have readers in regularly for both phone and walk-in appointments. Uh, We do classes, although that's been kind of different because of COVID. So we've moved most of that online, but hopefully next year we'll be doing in-person classes and events again. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know it's a fun place to come and check out it's got a beautiful vibe it's been downtown for 25 years so it's oh, wow. definitely a part of our community mm-hmm. um, and you know you can get a little piece of that through our website um, it's milk-and-honey.com and you can get a little peek of all of that there on the website Okay. And do you do any type of mail order from the, uh, your store? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Folks, yeah. Will, folks, check them out because they are um, grounded, as you can tell from our time together, and they are authentic, as you can tell from our time together. So check them out if you want some true tools because they're going to sell them to you. Um, <laughs> that, that, you know, that, you know, it's not something that is just like willy nilly. These people are grounded. They believe they know their stuff. Um, and it's better than going to Amazon. Okay. And you don't know what you're getting. So do, um, you know, take a look. And if you're interested, you know, make a purchase, but do get the book. Now, um, before we go, um, both of you individually, G, I want you to share a pearl of wisdom and P, I want you to share a, a word of wisdom for our audience. Well, you've mentioned the word grounded. And I love that. Um, Phoenix has said this many times before, probably the most important spiritual practice, whatever spirituality you practice, is to be grounded. And the easiest way to be grounded is to just stop for a moment, take three breaths, one a little bit longer than the next one, then the next one, and then open your eyes and look around wherever you find yourself, in the middle of a city, in, in nature, wherever you are. And just look around, take it all in, breathe it in, smell it, taste it, hear it, and be present. And if you can do that one time every day, just stop, breathe, and taking the wonder of what's around you, you'll find yourself more grounded. And when you're grounded, you make better decisions. You're a nicer person to be around. Uh, Life seems a little less stressful for that one moment every day. Okay. And Phoenix? 
Yeah, in a similar vein to that, I would I would challenge folks to start paying attention to moments of awe. I think that we don't we don't slow down and take in the world enough. And awe could come from driving along and seeing a hawk on the top of a fence post. Awe could come from overhearing a conversation that just fills you with delight. Awe could come from hearing a toddler giggling and laughing and playing. Uh, it could be from something you read or see or experience, but I think that challenging yourself every day to experience a moment of awe helps us reach higher vibrational levels, um, mm -hmm. be healthier, be happier, be stronger. Uh, and so that's, that's my challenge to, to go seek out those moments. Okay. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Well, um, G and Phoenix, thank you so much for being with me today as we collectively um, got over it. And I truly am honored and I appreciate your time and your attention. And folks, I want you to remember um, that the most important choice that you can make is what you choose to make important. Consider making the masterful choice of your life being ritualized, of what the blessings, light, and love to all, God bang.